0: Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you've tuned into this, which is episode 45 of Hypnosis Week. With myself, by birth, known as Alex William Smith, but better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy, or at least it used to be, of Hypnosis from MagicalGuru.com. This week, I'm absolutely delighted that, that I've got one of the absolute living legends of hypnosis. Uh, on the show who I will introduce in a few moments time let me tell you if you've not encountered his books before he's got I'm not going to tell you the titles of them all because we'll be here forever but um, some of the seminal works are The Art of Hypnosis hypnosis for inner conflict introducing parts therapy the art of hypnotherapy the art of regression therapy a clinical guide the art of spiritual hypnosis mastering the art of self hypnosis and the list goes on he's produced home study video programs he's done seminars and trainings literally all over the world um, and as you will become aware, during the next hour, not only is he a living legend, but the man who he credits as being his uh, tutor and mentor uh, was the living legend Charles Tebbits And um, so, you know, this is a guy who's won awards. Uh, again the list of awards when you go on his website and i'm going to give you a clue to his name right now sorry it's a spoiler alert if you don't recognize him straight away but his website is royhunter.com as you will notice from the link below the video that you can click on to go directly there but he's won more awards than we haven't got time to list them all he's been inducted into the international hypnosis hall of fame um and he has literally, go on his website and see the list. It, it, it's a ridiculously long list of awards, but with good reason, as you will find out over the next 60 minutes. So I'd like to welcome to the show the man who is the living legend, uh, Mr. Roy Hunter. Good evening to you, sir.
1: Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Well, yeah, depending Where on when people are watching.
0: Are yeah. watching so, and Roy, look, everyone, you are a living legend. Uh, but at some point you were not the living legend you are at some point you weren't even a hypnotherapist so as I ask everyone right at the top of the show how did you get to be where you are today what led you on this strange journey into helping people
1: well let me uh, start by giving you one of my primary motivations for becoming certified in the first place Although I had an interest in hypnosis from childhood up after watching my grandfather hypnotize my uh, cousin, huh. I never considered it as a career. Then in 1981, I suffered a permanent back injury. And at that time, I was working for Litton Industries and was helping uh, load a very heavy desk computer out of a van onto a cart to deliver to place a business, unfortunately, the person on the other end dropped it. Computers were a lot heavier in the, uh, 1980 than they are today. They were a lot bigger as well, weren't they? They were bigger and a lot heavier. I saved the computer at the expense of my back. Right. I you know, found myself in Tacoma General Hospital uh, for several days. Uh, was given a horrible prognosis uh, because. My spinal cord was in danger because there was a disc fragment partially stuck in my spinal cord, and the pain was absolutely excruciating. The prognosis was that I would be on uh, daily pain medication for the rest of my life, dealing with chronic pain and never able to live a normal life. Mm -hmm. Hypnosis was a godsend because hypnosis helped me to manage the pain, to tame it to an acceptable level. And instead of being a cripple for the rest of my life, I have been able to live a normal life. Granted, I still have pain almost every day of my life. However, it's tolerable. I don't use self-hypnosis to get rid of it totally because if I did that, I could suffer further injury to my back because my back will never be whole. Hypnosis isn't going to replace a missing disc Uh but it has helped me live a normal life even though I cannot do some of the things I used to do for example after my injury the first time I picked up a tennis racket I knew would be the last time I ever picked up a tennis racket in this life but at the same time for me it was a miracle of the mind to be able to live a normal life without having to take daily pain medication And then uh, when I learned that uh, there was a hypnosis teacher who taught professional hypnosis about 40 miles north of me, I was given his name, Charles Tebbets. Uh In 1983, uh, a little over two years after my injury, I got certified. I did not have any idea at the time that uh, my instructor was one of the best hypnotherapists in the country and would uh, actually go down into the hypnosis hall of fame as one of our legends of the 20th century. But he reminded me so much of my grandfather that uh, I found it really good studying under him. Little did I know that he had used self-hypnosis to overcome total disability from a crippling stroke that left him unable to even speak for several days. And he told me he used self-hypnosis to gradually start out by making idiomotor responses with his right (laughs) index finger. Then he systematically over a period of several days, got movement in all of his fingers. Then he worked on his toes, then his hands, then his feet. And he said one of the things that motivated him strongly was when he heard the doctor tell his wife that um, she would be lucky if her husband was ever able to regain speech, much less talk and walk. Mm -hmm. When I studied under him, you would have never known that he had been totally, uh, totally paralyzed from a stroke. That to me was absolutely uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. So because Charlie experienced a miracle of the mind, he entitled his hypnosis textbook, Miracles on Demand. Yeah. And I can understand why he felt that way, because he felt it was a miracle that he was able to regain enough strength through self-hypnosis for uh, weeks on end to eventually live a normal life again. So that was very inspiring to me. And after I got certified, I told God I wanted to help as many people as I could. In my mind at that time, I thought that it would be wonderful if I could help over 10,000 people in my hypnotherapy career. I had no idea that someday Charlie would ask me to continue his work and that my books would indirectly help uh, hundreds of thousands or millions.
0: Probably more like, yeah, because of the exponential effect of the people who read them going helping other people and so on. Probably more like millions, yeah,
1: excellent. <laughs> but I, you can understand why I believe in hypnotherapy with a passion, because for me it was life-changing. And another thing that was very personal to me is that uh, I had suffered another affliction since first grade, headaches. I started getting headaches in first grade, uh, two or three annoying headaches every week, all mm-hmm. through childhood, through my teens, through my 20s, through my 30s. Uh, they were annoying, but tolerable. But unfortunately, once or twice a month, I would get migraine headaches. And anyone who suffers migraine headaches knows how uh, horrible they Yeah, you feel like your head's going to explode. The first okay. migraine I had, I got scared. And I told my mother, uh, I think I was in either first grade or second grade. I said, uh, I feel like my head's going to blow up. And then she told me I had a migraine. That was when I had my first migraine experience. So all through my life, up until I studied under Charles Tevitz, the migraines got uh, gradually more frequent and more intense. And then one night, Charlie uh, did a session uh, using parts therapy to help a hypnotherapy student in my class overcome migraine headaches. You can imagine how interested I was in observing that session. So I thought, well, if it can work for him, why can't it work for me? Mm -hmm. So after I got certified, I traded sessions and was on the receiving end of parts therapy that part of my subconscious mind uh first of all should i back up and explain the parts therapy concept before i tell my story
0: um yeah well it's definitely on the question list but yeah it probably is a good time for you to do yeah. right? Really. yeah yeah
1: well we were a different hats um uh, right now you are wearing your interviewer hat mm-hmm. your host hat whatever you would choose to call it And you're seeing my um, hypnotherapy cap. I have an inner child cap that I put on when I have a lot of work and want to go do something fun and just have some good old R&R, as we call it in the USA. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife sees my inner husband hat or my inner romantic. Um, Although right now, uh, for the past Couple of years I've had to put on my inner caregiver hat to do what I can to help uh, her live a more comfortable life. Uh, I have an inner hypnosis instructor cap that I put on uh, when I'm teaching workshops. And I also, after I had told literally hundreds of fellow professionals, I have all the parts I want, thank you God. 13 years ago, I developed a new hat, my inner grandpa hat. So with have these various aspects of our personality that we incorporate as we walk through the timeline of life. Mm-hmm. I know Tad James has talked about timeline therapy, Charles Tebbets, even before Tad James ever wrote his book on timeline therapy, Charles Tebbets talked about the timeline of life. And that was interesting to me. Now, any- the list.
0: I was going to ask you about that, but you brought it up. So there you go, because I'm a great believer that there's very little new on this planet. And uh, the only thing is that some of these people are bringing out the latest arty-farty cause need to do a bit more reading of the people that have gone before.
1: They give it a new name, put a new spin on it, and then take uh, credit for it. Oh. I remember... Um, it's very... Uh, aspects of parts therapy, but it's nothing new under the sun, because at the same time Charles Tebbets was pioneering parts therapy, uh, John and Helen Watkins were pioneering ego state therapy based on the same concept. Charlie, one of the qualities I admired about him is he always gave credit for others where credit was due. Even after he and Gil Boyne had a parting of the ways, he still gave Gil credit for teaching him regression therapy. If Charles Tevitz had known of the Watkins work, I'm certain he would have mentioned it in the class. But he gave credit to uh, Freud and Paul Fadern based on the id, super id concept. Uh, But he took it to a new level uh, that I call client-centered parts therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Watson and Watson asked, Uh, Gordon Emerson, who's a published author and a world-renowned psychologist, uh, to be their protégé. So he continued uh, ego state therapy. And he took it to uh, a new level. When I wrote the parts therapy book that uh, you referenced earlier, I had the privilege of reading ego state therapy by Gordon Emerson, published by Crown House in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I even finished the first chapter, uh, I was thinking to myself, God, I want to meet this man someday. Sure. Well, I had that privilege when I taught a parts therapy workshop in Melbourne, Australia. I didn't even know which continent Gordon Emerson lived in, but he shows up at my parts therapy workshop in uh, Australia about a year after my Parts Therapy text was published. And I was flabbergasted. So, fortunately, I had, uh, I now have an autographed copy of Ego State Therapy. Gordon and I became friends, and we were, uh, Bruce Imer, who's a psychologist that co-authored The Art of Hypnotic Regression Therapy with me, we were honored and pleased that uh, Gordon Emerson agreed to write the forward for our regression text. So.
0: Um. I mean, you, you are really known for two major things. One is parts therapy, obviously, um, and the other is regression. Now in term, we'll, we'll stick with parts therapy for now. Okay. Obviously I've read books by yourself. I've read Miracles on Demand, both Charles Tebbitt's original text and Gilboyne's uh, mm-hmm. one that followed on. And my conclusion, and I'm going to argue that there's no right or wrong. I'm, I'm, well, there is a right or wrong. You can quite happily disagree with me, obviously, because that's what this is kind of about. But my conclusion is that it's a, a, effectively, could be argued to be just a, a metaphor. Um. And by that, I mean to explain. I've studied, for example, the Native American Indians and their belief system of shamanism. And within that, you have like the um, oh god, I'm having a mental block now. I think it's the heyoka, is the uh, what they kind of look at as the court jester type archetype persona, and then you've got. They have a mental block, but you've got effectively your wizard, your shaman, your witch doctor, call it what you will. Lots of different belief systems have different names for it. But in the text of it, they say that all of us have all of these elements. And they use the word elements in shamanism rather than parts. But all of these elements within us, but in different situations, different elements come to the fore. And when I was reading parts therapy stuff, it resonated with me that, well, it's the same with what you were saying. You've got your grandfather part, you've got your teacher part, you've got your husband part. And that I would argue that the roots of parts therapy are in stuff that's predating any hypnotherapy text. It's there in the spiritual tradition stuff.
1: My response to what you just said is there's nothing new under the sun. So who knows whether uh, they had variations of parts therapy back in ancient Egypt and the ancient sleep temples. Mm -hmm. So uh, the concept has been around. But I find it interesting that in the 20th century, while Watson and Watson were uh, tapping into the concept, for the mental health community, Charles Tebbets was tapping into the concept for the hypnotherapy community. But there are others also. Voice dialogue was popular in the 80s and 90s.
0: I've got a theory, you see, as to why Charles Tebbets may have gone into what's become called power therapy. Because as you obviously are well aware, because it's on your own website, Charles started off as a stage hypnotist before he was a therapist. And as a stage hypnotist myself of, of many years, I, I I genuinely believe, somewhat controversially to some of the viewers of this show, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll get some uh, nasty emails, but hey, oh, I've got thick enough skin. I believe that hypnotherapists or stage hypnotists are massive debt. I know there's some complete and utter slime balls out there in the industry, but that's the same in any industry. But generally speaking, without stage hypnosis over the years hypnotherapy probably wouldn't exist as such in the way that we know it because it was a stage hypnotist coming to town and people would talk about it and then it led to business but Charles started out as a stage hypnotist and on stage you very quickly realize that an Norman McGill in private would admit this uh, well, when I say in private, he'd admit it at magic conventions to magicians. I don't. I, I, I've never been privy to him doing it at a hypnosis event. Uh, Gil Boyne would admit he certainly did on the telephone to me that stage hypnosis is bunkum. Excuse the language, it's bullshit. Um, as is hypnosis, effectively in the way most people think it is. And all it is on stage, it gives people a perfect excuse to not have any self-blame, shame, guilt or regret for letting the hair down, being the centre of attention, getting the applause and laughter, but where they feel protected because the hypnotist made me do it. And that is a part
1: of that to clients numerous times over the decades.
0: But I think that's therapy as well, you see, I think, taking it a level. because I think he realized probably the same thing that I did years ago, that human beings, there's nothing we as hypnotherapists do, I would argue, that a human being can't do for themselves. It's just that they don't feel strong enough or they don't. Uh, feel they've got enough willpower or enough resources or however you you, you you want to phrase it. But ultimately, yes, we do help them rearrange this personal laptop computer. Of course we do. But the, all the resources are there, as Milton Erickson would have said. Everything's there. It's just the, the need to become aware of it. And I think as therapists, we really are giving the client the permission to change Uh, A safe environment to do it in and the perfect excuse to have kind of a body, a kind of suit of armor on so that when they leave the office, when they bump into their friend they've known for years or a family member and they go, hey, Dave, I know you've not had a cigarette for five minutes. You normally chain smoke. Oh, yeah, I've stopped smoking. When their friend goes, why didn't you do it sooner if it was that easy? if you've just stopped smoking today, rather than underlying feeling like daft for the fact they didn't do it sooner, they can turn around and say, well, I wasn't able to. It's not my fault kind of thing. But this wonderful therapist, Roy Hunter, Wendy Fries and Jonathan, whoever, helped me do it. And now I'm a non-smoker. And that removes all self-blame, shame, guilt, and regret for them for not having done it sooner. Whereas if they just woke up and went, rather than I'll go to see a therapist and go through an important, seeming, ritualistic process. I'll do it for myself. I won't buy any more cigarettes. I won't smoke. Simple as that. And there are some people on the planet who've done that. Well, then they might see the friend and family, and the friend and family go, you're not smoking. What's going on? And they go, I've decided to stop. And the friend and family go, what, simple as that? Yeah, I've just decided to stop. That's it. And then the friend and family go, well, why didn't you do it sooner? You know, all the reasons to stop. And they can end up feeling so attacked part of them could feel attacked that they're getting criticized for not having done it sooner that they relapse to prove that it wasn't that easy to do it on their own whereas where they go and see someone like your good self they can walk away and they've got kind of a a a, 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 a body shield of protection because it wasn't that easy that's why i needed to see the expert roy hunter in the same way as
1: go- on what you've just said for the yeah. last few minutes I totally agree that if it weren't for stage hypnosis and the interest in stage hypnosis in the 1900s and the 1800s that we most likely would not have the hypnotherapy profession as we have today but one big change I've noticed because I've been in the profession long enough to see us go from kindergarten through grade school as a profession, possibly up to junior high school or high school level as yeah. a profession. Uh, for example, in the 1980s, a very low percentage of people in our profession were trained competently. They, were, they knew how to do inductions and to use a script. Scripts help some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. Sometimes you have to use a technique such as part therapy or regression to solicit the subconscious to reveal the core cause of the resistance to suggestion because people mm-hmm. can reject a suggestion if they have a strong emotional desire to do so. Yeah. And that's why I've seen a lot of clients over the years who uh, tell me I'm the second or the third, or in a few cases a fourth hypnotherapist they've seen to resolve a problem. When I was practicing Uh, full-time seeing 20 to 25 clients a week over half of my clients were referrals from satisfied clients which told me I was doing something right oh yeah Uh, not that I didn't have an occasional failure because no matter how good you are you can't help all the people all the time and I learned the hard way over three decades ago you can only help someone who chooses to change because if he or she is only coming to see me so they can say to their doctor well I tried hypnosis And I still didn't quit smoking. I can't help that person unless he or she is choosing of their own free will to make the change that they're investing time and money for. And another change I've seen is that not only do we now have a much higher percentage of people in a profession that are competently trained. Many people. I might have have been one of the first are learning hypnotherapy before learning stage hypnosis. I tried by hand a few times at stage hypnosis, and the times I endeavored to do it, even like after I was 10 years in the profession, oh, I, I felt like that. a rookie, a greenie.
0: <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Seriously. Oh, so you've, you, you dip your toe in the water of that as well then?
1: I can count on my fingers the number of times I've done a stage hypnosis show in... Uh, almost four decades of practice
0: yeah but you've actually you but you have actually given it a go there's people out there who never have so I mean hats off to you sir
1: oh thank you I used to I I was uncomfortable the first time I did it but I forced myself Mm -hmm. to develop my own little uh, 20-minute routine So I could do a stage hypnosis show once during my nine-month hypnosis training course at the college because I knew some of my hypnotherapy students would want to go into the stage hypnosis side of the profession. And having studied the history of our profession, I knew how valuable stage hypnosis was to uh, the growth of our profession, the birth and the uh, development of it. But at the same time, I personally can be a stage hypnotist's worst nightmare if he or she uh, does things that are humiliating to the people in the audience. I just, um, uh, I've just i confronted more than one stage hypnotist over the years when I didn't like what they did. One of them was actually a PhD who uh, bragged about sticking a pencil eraser in the palm of somebody's hand okay. and having... Uh, the he called the person the subject imagine it was a lit cigarette and it was a burn blister you don't give suggestions to somebody that you wouldn't be comfortable receiving if the roles were reversed and to me that's the number one ethic in our profession Mm -hmm. yeah
0: trouble is, common sense isn't necessarily
1: um stage hypnosis has its place i love the entertainment side Uh, I have seen a handful of really good stage hypnosis shows. One of them, of course, um, was Orman McGill, who you mentioned him already. He was a personal friend of mine. And um, I had an unanswered letter from him sitting on my computer desk when I learned of his passing. And I was sorry that I had waited uh, longer than usual to respond to his letter. But uh, life does have its surprises Anyway, speaking of life surprises, let me get back to a story I mentioned earlier about my migraine headaches. Yeah. this really motivated me to be passionate about part therapy. One session of part therapy, I discovered that one of my inner child parts that was a perfectionist that was causing the headaches called himself the judge. And when the lady I traded sessions with uh, asked the judge why he was uh, what what his job was. his job was to help me become perfect as a father in heaven as perfect because my mother said no job is worth doing unless you do it right when I was a child. So that was the ethic that she taught me as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. He was punishing me with headaches, the judge, when I didn't do something perfect. So if I got uh, 95 percent on an exam, even though it was an A, I had a headache. I had no clue consciously as to why I had the headache. And then when I was stressed or the subject of hot criticism, uh, if it was really bad criticism, I would have a migraine, a more severe punishment. And then my first marriage had some problems. I won't go into what those problems were. So I had uh, an increase in both frequency and intensity of the migraines uh, because my first wife was constantly uh, criticizing me for not being a perfect father or not being a perfect husband. And after the marriage split up, still, no matter what you do, you're not gonna do it perfect because all you're gonna do is do your best. So that part was to punish me when I uh, wasn't perfect. There are people who would say that was a very negative part. I agree it was negative. But guess what? I still have that part because the parts therapy is Mm client-centered. And the negotiation that uh, followed because the lady that worked with me mediated properly was that the part of me wanting to overcome the headaches said the only man who was perfect got nailed for it 2,000 years ago, and I still remember the hypnotherapist who was uh, a devout Christian, burst out in hysterical laughter. She, (laughs) She laughed for probably a good half a minute or so. She couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it either. And if I recall, I think I chuckled a little bit even though I was in deep hypnosis. But then the judge agreed that as long as I was doing my best, Mm -hmm. it didn't have to be perfect. But as long as I was doing my best, instead of slacking off, and then the part wanting to overcome the headaches said, well, um, some days Roy's best is better than other days based on how he feels physically or emotionally. Mm -hmm. So the part that was the judge is the same part of me that has motivated me to edit my books and make sure they're good enough before they ever go to the publisher.
0: Excellent. Excellent.
1: And I, uh, I've i received lots of comments on this book over the years. Probably the most profound compliment I ever received was from a psychiatrist who told me it was his hypnosis bible uh, you can't ask for a nicer compliment than that for a book.
0: I mean, I can't recommend them enough. People. Oh, it's dead simple, every major bookstore, but Amazon, generally Thanks. speaking, because you get free uh, delivery when you order over a certain amount of books. Uh, so it makes sense to go on Amazon and uh, type in Roy Hunter and boom, there they are, get them ordered, people.
1: If I can share with you something I really would like for uh, the medical community to do some research on, or any hypnotherapist who yeah, uses he or she uses parts therapy or any of its variations, such as uh, ego state therapy. Can I just ask
0: one or question therapy? before you share it. Do you Part- when you're doing parts therapy? Do you prefer to use direct voice, so i.e. ask the client to verbalize, or much- do you do it through idiomotor a, a response?
1: It takes a lot longer with idiomotor response. I prefer that the client verbalizes, mm-hmm. but uh, on those very rare occasions, uh, which I can count on one hand in traditional part therapy, there's a different form of parts therapy I'll discuss in a few minutes. Uh, but in traditional part therapy for inner conflict resolution, uh, it'll go a lot faster if the parts verbalize. If a part wants to respond only by finger response, I ask for another part that can act as interpreter. Okay. Found that uh, cuts way down on a number of times. Uh, I have to waste a lot of time with finger response questions. So some of these things I've discovered through trial and error because the protocol that I teach for parts therapy has passed the test of time uh, dating all the way back to 1984 when I started revising Charlie's parts therapy a little bit because of my own failures he debated he would uh, arbitrate and debate with each part i'm a lousy debater yeah. i found it much more effective to mediate so i helped the parts uh, negotiate with each other trade-offs yeah. sometimes it's necessary to call out a third part uh and then one time in the mid 80s the two parts were so vocal, they were so adamantly opposed to each other when I was working with a lady on uh, weight management that finally the two parts intimidated her other parts into silence and I was not successful in calling out a third or neutral objective part. But then I remembered that during the intake she mentioned she was uh, involved a lot with her church so after i did my own peaceful place trigger to calm myself because i thought i'm lost here god i need some help so i said take a deep breath and this is my peaceful place trigger and go way down and then while i'm saying way down i'm in my mind telepathically asking god for some intu- intuitive guidance because intuition is a godsend if you're going to be a client-centered hypnotherapist and i had this sudden flash she's a christian call out a spiritual part so that was my first experience with spiritual hypnosis the part Which one of the well, uh, a
0: book on spiritual hypnosis the art of spiritual hypnosis so can you please explain to the viewers what what Your definition of spiritual hypnosis is because, I mean, the obvious answer for anyone would be, well, clearly choosing a hypnosis in the context of things that are spiritual. But I'm guessing there's a bit more to it than that.
1: There's a whole lot more to it because I have uh, the definition of spiritual hypnosis. It is extremely important to understand because I have witnessed people in our profession doing what they call spiritual hypnosis in a manner that I don't believe is client-centered and I do not believe is spiritual. At least that's my personal and in some cases professional opinion based on negative outcomes. But back to this case, this lady, uh, the part called itself Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit told the other two parts what to do. Within five minutes, her inner conflict was resolved and the pound started peeling off. So that was in the mid 80s, and that's how I discovered spiritual hypnosis. So to me, spiritual hypnosis is really more spiritual when a client is able to access his or her higher power, whether the client believes the higher power is God, universal consciousness, divine love, divine light, Christ, Yahweh michael the archangel higher self spirit guide does that make
0: yeah, sense like, to you yeah oh it does but I've got, I've got to play devil's advocate because obviously that comes down to their personal belief system whether they believe in god Allah, whatever deity what about um atheists who ironically that in the one hand adamantly say they don't believe in any higher power but That in itself, obviously, is a belief system for them to adamantly defend the fact that they believe it, such as the oxymoron and paradox there. What about people who who say they are atheists and that there is no higher power?
1: I can answer that with a case history. Please do. Yeah. First, let me preface it by saying that one of my objections to some people in our profession doing spiritual hypnosis is they attempt to use hypnosis to project their own religious or spiritual beliefs into a client. And I don't believe that's ethical. I believe we need to work with the client's belief system. Yeah. So years ago, a smoker came to me. He was a referral from a successful client and five minutes into the intake, he said, before we get any further in this session, you need to know I'm a devout atheist, and you better dare not bring the name of God or anything religious or spiritual into these sessions. Since the client's my employer, mm-hmm. I work within the framework of the client's belief system. So um, he liked my approach, which is based on having a client identify the benefits of success, and I project them forward in time, doing a hypnotic progression to have them fantasize the attitude of gratitude and enjoyment of their benefits of succeeding for the first session, because first impressions are lasting, and I want the client to have a good trance journey on his or her first visit. I realize that's not the only way to get results, because just like there are numerous ways you can take to go from uh, London to Manchester, The destination is more important than which journey you take. So whether I use my benefits approach or parts therapy or regression therapy or resource therapy or ego state therapy or six step reframe, as long as a client achieves results, that's the most important thing. But back to this atheist. uh, I. Had on the second session, I teach stress management for self. Self hypnosis to manage stress because stress causes more backsliding than all of the reasons combined. I found that out in the 80s when I spent five years surveying clients. I wanted to know their long term success rate. So I would call them uh, at six months, 12 months, and 18 months. And when clients who were smokers backslid, I found stress caused more backsliding than all of the other reasons combined. So. I automatically insist that if someone sees me for smoking cessation, that he or she have at least one session where I can teach the client the peaceful place meditation and establishing a peaceful place trigger to manage stress buttons. He comes in for the third session and says, I really want this to work, but there's a part of me that's resisting all of these good suggestions you gave me the first week. But he said, I'm doing great. With stress, he said, I'm not smoking when I get stressed, which is amazing. So something's working. And he said, uh, but maybe you can find out uh, why a part of me is resisting. And of course, he was a perfect candidate for parts therapy. But like the lady in the mid 80s who uh, had a uh, two parts that would not negotiate, the part that wanted to smoke absolutely flat out refused to cooperate or negotiate or let me mediate. Between the part that wanted to quit smoking mm-hmm. and the part w- wanted to keep on smoking, and it's like he didn't give a blank what the conscious mind wanted. He was going to smoke or be, uh, you know, or know the reason why. And it's like uh, he was going to smoke until uh, the big D that stands for death. So when I attempted to call out a third part, the part that emerged, I said, there's a part of you that uh, may have your highest and best wisdom, knowledge, understanding, training, and experience. So whatever part of you can provide words of wisdom to help us get past this impasse, you're an important part of Bob or whatever the client's name was. And I said, when you're ready to provide some words of wisdom to help us get past this impasse, please come forward And either say the words I am here or move the yes finger. Yes finger moved. So when I ask what name or title shall I call you? He said, you may call me higher self. And after the successful resolution, because higher self told the parts what to do. uh, After a successful parts therapy, my first words are, isn't this amazing stuff? And my client said, amazing isn't the half of it. I said, what do you mean? He said, higher self was a spiritual part he said if i have a spiritual part that means there must be some sort of spiritual realm and logic dictates if there's a spiritual realm then maybe there is a god or a higher power And because i came from him uh-huh. he was okay with it but if i had asked for his spiritual part he probably would have brought himself up out of hypnosis yeah. continued yeah. smoking and never sent me any uh, referrals So, because he was a devout atheist who, of his own free will, without my interfering, found his resolution by allowing his spiritual part—that he never knew existed until that session—to come through. I have his case summary in my chapter in the Art of Spiritual Hypnosis, and this. Amazon.com,
0: Amazon.co.uk. Go on, there, people.
1: (laughs) Uh, Over two dozen. well known hypnotherapists from around the world who are hypnosis trainers and/or authors, or in many cases both, have contributed over eighty case summaries to this book. And it's based on uh, their concept. Uh now I didn't technically call past life regression spiritual hypnosis until uh several years. After the parts therapy aspect of calling out a client's higher power part, but while that's a variation of uh, parts therapy, a variation which I call spirit trek, calling out the part of the client that's most closely affiliated with his or her perception of God or higher power, I also consider that a past life regression can, notice I'm not going to say will, but it can become a spiritual hypnosis session if. At the conclusion of the real or imagined past life progression, because I think some of them are false memories, okay. if they access divine wisdom for uh what they're supposed to learn from that life that was glimpsed at and apply in the present life to help them uh fulfill their current life path. Uh because there are different theories to explain. Uh, what a past life regression is fantasy or metaphor maybe somebody heard a story as a child or saw a movie so, yeah, and they incorporated the
0: it person on the planet to interview because i was about to segue into another question and you've naturally just gone into it again you've done that <laughs> seven times now it's like you're psychic excellent <laughs> because the question was going to be so past life regression do you think it's all made up do you think it's actually past life memories or do you think that um it's literally like abstract dreaming at night metaphor for people to accept things or do you think it's other or do you think it's all of them depending on the client
1: i think it depends on the client for example years ago a person who was a ufo abductee wannabe uh gave a totally fantasized uh, Oscar caliber performance which I believe was a false memory Mm -hmm. but there's the remote possibility that maybe he was telling the truth but it just seemed too far out in the left field to be real uh, of some past life on some alien planet that uh, sounded like something came out of Star Trek Uh, and I know i have proof at least i believe proof Mm -hmm. that at least some past life regressions are false memory because um years ago a lady had a very vivid past life regression in my office as joan of arc and about three or four years later another woman came in and she had a past life regression as joan of arc and they can't both have been joan of arc unless there's uh, truth of the concept of an oversoul which some people who are into the Seth books believe and I I don't believe it but I don't totally disbelieve it I put it on the uh, closet shelf of my subconscious with a grain of rock salt <laughs> so in other words I believe that any given past life regression could be a false memory it could be an actual memory of a past life that the person lived. Ormond McGill, for example, told me he had conscious memories of a number of different past lives that he lived. And the late Arthur Winkler, who was a former Methodist minister and total past life skeptic, Uh actually came to have uh, awareness of several of his past lives before he passed away. Um, Uh That was an interesting story how he turned from a skeptic to a believer.
0: So I'm guessing that you must have had experiences with doing the past life stuff. I mean one of the things I read about years and years ago by years ago crikey, I'm feeling old. I'm going back to like the late '80s, and I can't remember where I read it, but it was the, the example that was given was um, a person had a past life regression in the previous life. they were recalling they were in a sword fight, and that the armor got chopped off. And they'd been having, like, I'm going to say a paralysis of that mm-hmm. arm, that medical, normal, conventional medicine couldn't explain why, what the problem was. And when they came round from this therapy session in this case study, it said that the person now having this realisation that it was from a past life and kind of having metaphorically resolved it, suddenly they got the movement back in their arm.
1: That's interesting. In the late 1980s, uh, I had an attorney in my uh, hypnotherapy class at the college. Mm-hmm. And when I got into the uh, evening where we discussed past life progressions, he wanted to be the volunteer. What I did not know at the time he volunteered is he was a total past life skeptic and was uh, Wanted to be the volunteer in order to debunk it. Okay. So he emerged in a real or imagined past life on the Aleutian Islands in Alaska in the 1800s as a teenage Eskimo spearfishing on the rocks. Off in the distance, it was a whaling boat. When they shot the harpoon at a well, it missed the well, jabbed him. Ah, killed him. Oh, and after the regression was over, I brought him up, and as he was, uh, uh, you know, re-alerting himself, one of the students said, uh, "You seemed like you were really remembering it. Was did it seem realistic?" And he said this is amazing he said i've had a pain in my shoulder in that exact spot for years Mm -hmm. and he said the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with it and he said for the first time in years that pain is gone and then he told the whole class he said i didn't believe in past lives i volunteered so i could debunk this but he said um after what I just experienced, I think I went from a skeptic to a believer. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> it's, it's a, you can't pay for something like that to happen; it just happened. No,
0: it's but funny. Anyway,
1: it all. Bruce Eimer and I have a chapter on past life regressions in our uh, book on hypnotic regression therapy, uh, a clinical guide. And we have the explanations there, so a person is free to choose whatever explanation he or she is most comfortable with, but what's important is, is a client helped, because my number one goal is to help the client become more empowered, and it doesn't matter to me professionally. Whether the client's past life regression is a real memory or a fantasy or whether they're tapping into a spiritual internet and tuning into the memories of some other person who lived. If the client is better, that's what's important. So like years ago when a Sunday school teacher saw me for fear of flying and I used the affect bridge technique for regression. Instead of regressing to childhood in this life, she went to a real or imagined past life regression where she suffocated and then said, oh, it's not the fear of heights that makes me uncomfortable in a plane. It's a fact that the cabin is pressurized. And then after the session was over, she said, wow, I didn't know I believed in past life stuff. Do you think I could have lived that life? So I gave her the explanations. I didn't answer her question because whether I say yes or no, it's a no win answer for her. Mm. I didn't want her to have a crisis of faith. So I gave her the possible explanations and then she said, I don't know. That seemed pretty vivid. I think it was more than just a story I heard as a child. What do you think? Do you think personally I might've lived that lifetime? I said, if you want my honest opinion, I don't think we can either scientifically prove or disprove which of those theories applies. But what's important is that your subconscious found a way for you to release a fear of flying so you can get on that plane to Chicago next week. Yeah, I bumped absolutely. into her three years later, and she told me she'd flown over a quarter of a million miles since that session and was reading every Edgar Casey book she could get her hands on.
0: Ab- ab- absolutely excellent. And I couldn't agree more on it, Brings into my head the most obvious question to me, and I'm sure some people watching will be thinking, Okay, makes total sense. Parts therapy, get that? Because people in everyday life, most of us at some point have gone, Oh, I wish that part of me just (laughs) whatever. People have an experience, they can comprehend that as a metaphor at the very least, if not beyond. So that makes sense why it'd work, and past life, especially when. You're saying it doesn't matter whether it's real, metaphoric, imagined or whatever, as long as there's a positive end result.
1: Right. And while I'm thinking about it, can Mm -hmm. I make a comment I started to make earlier and got uh, sidetracked with a question, legitimate question. But I started to mention that one of the pioneers of parts therapy is uh, or was because he's no longer with us. Uh, he is the one that came up with uh, what he called subliminal therapy, Dr. Edwin Yeager, who was in the psychiatry department at the University of San Diego. And instead of calling out the various parts, he called out that part of the client that, or patient that had the best wisdom, knowledge, understanding, training, and experience he called it Centrum. What is profound about Dr. Yeager's work is when I met him for lunch prior to his passing, he told me that many of his patients believe that Centrum is higher self or Christ or Holy Spirit or God or Yahweh. So in a sense, Edwin Yeager was a pioneer of spiritual hypnosis. But the other part that's mm-hmm. profound is that I got an email from Ed when he turned 90. He had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and he wanted to know if subliminal therapy could stop the progression because it's medically impossible to stop the progression the best you can slow down the progression. So he had one of his former, uh, subliminal therapy students who was a psychologist from Germany Mm -hmm. do his own technique that he pioneered so the trainer and pioneer of subliminal therapy became a client of his own technique and his hope was that the progression could be stopped weeks after his session he was flabbergasted, the symptoms were totally gone. It was reversed. And when I worked part-time for Franciscan Hospice for seven years, one of the most discouraging uh, types of patients for me to work with was when I worked with somebody, someone who had either Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, sometimes I would literally cry tears of compassion all the way home after seeing somebody with Alzheimer's, because usually the spouse got more out of uh, my visit than the patient. So I am absolutely delighted that a variation of parts therapy or perhaps a variation of spiritual hypnosis has at least one success in helping someone overcome Alzheimer's. And he and that psychologist co-authored an article that they submitted to several medical journals. And before Ed passed away, he sent me an email and told me that uh, it had been published at least once. I don't know which journal it was in uh, because when I decided to ask him, he was gone. But it gives me hope that perhaps spiritual application of parts therapy could help. Change the whole paradigm of healthcare before the end of this century, and I hope that people who are more involved in medical hypnosis can do some credible research supervised by people in the medical community to find out if there can be hope for others who suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia. Because Ed's success gives me great hope. I literally cried tears of joy when I read his me help? Help. Let me grab my phone
0: because i
1: the reason being
0: because I don't know how while I'm on Skype to use my internet window. Yes, that's how technophobic, internet, useless I am. So I'm going <laughs> to cheat because I wanted to get the name of somebody. Um, in, in, in England, a colleague of mine um, who f- has founded a thing um, it's for weight loss called Fat Dosis, a guy called Steve Miller has teamed up with a gentleman recently and that's what i want to get i don't want to get the gentleman's name wrong
1: postings on facebook
0: so he's the name of the gentleman is dr daniel nightingale uh he's based in america Um, but he has started well, with Steve Miller helping him what's being touted as the first um, specifically hypnotherapy training course for helping people with just dementia because he's involved in the medical community with
1: dementia maybe I should contact him and let him know about Dr. Edwin Yeager
0: yeah, I think so. I think when I book this video live later, I'm gonna I'm gonna tag Steve Miller and Dr. Dan as well as yourself on Facebook so that you get to see each other and then it might be worth you communicating with each other, yeah.
1: Um For me, I- hypnotherapy is not just a career, it's a passion. It's my life path. It's like I eat, breathe and sleep hypnosis. And it's been an incredible journey, a privilege and an honor and sometimes when i look back and reflect over the years i've been in this profession i just feel overwhelmed with the attitude of gratitude for uh, all that i've been involved with and to me it's it's humbling as well as encouraging and i believe that people in our profession could should consider it a privilege and honor and a responsibility to mm-hmm. Be able to help clients become more self-empowered
0: well and help other people to help other clients because without people like your good self and pray to yourself charles tebbets arm mcgill gil without i mean it's much easier these days for people to publish books but i mean so the, the environment's changed but without people like yourself and those that have come before uh they all say mm, it does sound a cliche but standing on the shoulders of giants the truth is, without stuff to be there, you know, you've helped more people than you probably ever realise. And that's an amazing thing. Do you not also, and this is just looking at kind of slightly removed the bigger picture, because I've, I've read so many books, I've looked at the history, we've covered it before, there's very little that's new, because most people don't read back far enough. And they just go on these wonder courses with a new name and a new fancy title. And yet it's all hidden there in the pages of your books, Charles books, you know. Um, but when we go back to, say, wartime and pre-wartime, if you look, there is out there the documented evidence of the most amazing. I hate to use the word cures, but I'm going to use it contextually just for this question. Cures, results life transformations call it what you will but included on a medical level that it's just like conventional medicine at the time was almost accepting it and then just shut itself off to it and then we had this gap of 30 40 50 years before it's starting to get recognized again which i think is still at the embryonic stage now what do you make of all that
1: well to me I prefer to call it miracles of the mind, because to me, having suffered migraines consistently from age six up to my early forties, yeah. for me to have only three migraines in the last three decades is a miracle of the mind. Mm. I thought it was my cross to bear for the rest of my life. And uh, sure, I can still get a headache if I miss a lot of sleep or I don't manage uh, stress uh, by walking my talk as often as i should and if i abuse my body i'll suffer just like anybody else Mm -hmm. and sometimes i have uh, made my back hurt worse than at other times because of overdoing it on the caregiving for my wife but you do what you can when you love somebody Uh, but my advice to all the hypnotherapists who are viewing this whether you're new in the profession or whether you've been in it 20 or 30 years Practice client-centered hypnosis, which means fit the technique to the client rather than trying to fit the client to your technique. And also, the number one ethic, do for the client what you believe you would want done for yourself if the roles were reversed. And that is the ethic of ethics.
0: I mean, it can't be more simple than that. And yet that covers it all. All these long go oh, be a member of this society and we've got all these pages of rules but i mean some it up there in two sentences because if you do that you're also going to be making sure the person's safe in all manner and all the other things will naturally fall into place so yeah I, and i love the fact that not only do you simplify things but you know what's really refreshing the fact that you've at least two or three times during this interview You have alluded to the fact that you, just like us all, are a human being. And there are times in life where we don't always follow our own advice and therefore things can be made worse. That is refreshing. You're not one of these people going, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to swear one word. There's too many bullshitters.
1: How can I say I believe in hypnotherapy if I'm not willing to be a client? Because it's not a question of whether, it's a question of when. And when I need to be on the receiving end, I will usually choose one of my former students. I don't mean this sounding egotistical, but it's because I know the quality of their training and I'm careful about who I trust to walk in my subconscious. But uh, I have been a client of hypnotherapy dozens of times during my career.
0: Excellent. And that really is the walk in the walk, so to speak. Um... Look, time's running out. We've gone just over the hour, and it's a shame because you know what? I could speak to you for days. I, I can tell that <laughs> I because it just you've Um. So I'm gonna. There's a question I ask everyone at the end, but before I come to that, I just want to briefly go back to Charles Tebbitt, So we're segueing back to where we started off, where your okay, journey, sure. where your journey began. Now, obviously, there's books out there people can get a hold of. Miracles on Demand, and obviously in your works you reference him and, uh, and stuff. But you were fortunate enough to spend time with him, okay. And sometimes people come out with golden nuggets when they're speaking to you that they forget themselves when it comes to writing the books, so they never get down. And that wisdom lives in your head because you were the person that he's had it to. Is there anything that enters your head profoundly or, well, perceptionally, you know, good advice or whatever that you'd say to anyone watching this that Charles imparted to you that's helped you on your journey as a hypnotherapist?
1: Charles had a jewel. Charlie is what he wanted me to call him. He had a jewel for client-centered hypnosis uh, that I call the foundation of client-centered hypnosis. It's based on the concept that uh, we have four hypnotherapy objectives. Objective number one, suggestion and imagery. And if a person is strongly motivated and just needs a helping hand and can imagine success and believes that hypnosis is all he or she needs, that's why scripts work for some of the people some of the time. But when more than suggestion and imagery is necessary, you have three more objectives. Objective number two, you have to discover. Notice I did not say diagnose. You have to discover mm-hmm. the cause of the subconscious resistance. Whether you're using part therapy or regression therapy or a different technique, uh, ego state therapy, six step reframe. There are lots of different ways to discover the cause. But then the client has to be released from his or her emotional attachment to that cause, which is your third objective. Mm-hmm. And then once the cause is discovered and released, which in part therapy happens gradually as the parts in conflict come to terms of agreement, then the subconscious is now much more able to accept subconscious reprogramming, which means a client has to believe both consciously and subconsciously that his or her success will be permanent Mm -hmm. I consider that the foundation of client-centered hypnosis. And regardless of which technique you need uh, to use, there's your destination. And there are techniques that probably haven't even been invented yet that can help people along the journey. But the way to evaluate the efficacy of any technique you learn is to determine which of those four objectives it belongs in. For example, some people believe the EFT is the end-all, cure-all. And unfortunately, while some people do spontaneously discover and release the core cause, you can't just release the core cause without the subconscious releasing it. And you can't discover the cause if the subconscious uh, won't let you Uh, use your technique so uh, that's why it's good to know a number of different techniques you don't Mm. need to know every technique that's ever invented I mean, there are techniques out there that uh, you can say what it is and I might not know what it is because the older I get the more I realize there's stuff I don't know about hypnosis and I don't know about life so life is a lifelong learning progress I just want to know that when I leave this planet that uh, I've done my part Oh, oh, no, you
0: tired. have. Oh, rest assured you have. But I've <laughs> got to, before I get to my last question, I've got to okay. ask you it came up that if you don't find the root cause of the problem, okay, I know because I've witnessed it with, with other therapists, and it is, especially you mentioned tapping, all right? So they've done it right. Now you're no longer scared of spiders. Oh, wonderful. They're holding a spider. They're not scared of it. To them, they consider that the job's done. Now, my argument's always been that if you don't find the root cause, the triggers that cause that, and, yeah, it could just be as simple as this other m- mum screaming at a spider when they were younger, in which case, in that scenario, highly likely, job is done. But I believe that there can be other situations sometimes where it's an underlying trauma situation, repressed memory, whatever, that, yeah, they will, because of the important seeming Ritual process whatever that may be buy into it and no longer be scared of spiders but that symptom substitution will take place and some other issue will manifest in their life because the core triggers underneath weren't dealt with
1: well let's put it this way if i'm unable to discover the core cause I will do one of two things depending on the client and his or her particular presenting problem. I will either offer to do spiritual hypnosis and ask wisdom from the client's perception of God or higher power, or I just might flat refer to somebody else. And I've referred hundreds of times during my years of practice. For example, a very common presenting uh, problem cause that results in a referral, is if part therapy reveals that a person is uh, overeating because of unresolved marriage problems. I cannot release somebody from an ongoing current unresolved issue. So uh, I recommend that they see a marriage counselor because if I simply give suggestions to control the eating habits, how do I know they won't trade uh, overeating for over drinking or a worse presenting problem? They need to get the core cause fixed and if I'm not qualified to help them with that, I believe that I have a professional and ethical obligation to let them know. I had a great thing going for years because one of Charlie's former students was a psychologist who uh, loved marriage counseling better than hypnotherapy. (laughs) So, I always had a uh, dozen of his business cards in my office, so if the core cause was unresolved marriage problems, I would recommend that they see Tim Taylor. And um, my payoff on that was not only knowing that the client was in good hands, but he also paid me off by referring a number of people to my hypnotherapy course at the college. Excellent. (laughs) And occasionally someone who saw him. For marriage counseling needed to quit smoking so sometimes i would get smoking cessation clients uh, referred by him because he enjoyed learning about hypnotherapy but he preferred psychological counseling over hypnotherapy so a, it was a big
0: lesson there marriage. viewers number one referring clients can bring you business as well it's,
1: as so, cause some people I, i've it's seen also hundreds. credibility for our profession yes. because we should be Presenting ourselves not as alternative healthcare, but as complementary healthcare. Because when we put the client first, it's important to realize you cannot help everyone who darkens the door of your office. Mm. And arrogance is uh, something that can lead to failure. So it's important to the client what you would want done for you if the roles were reversed. And that's very much
0: viewers to I always say this every week but get a a pad and a pen and watch this video from the beginning again and this time take notes about titles names and stuff because there's so much gold in the past hour but I also urge viewers to to listen to Roy's words because I think one of the most not the most valuable thing that's been shared in the past hour but there again you know some might argue it is bizarrely that viewers can take is I know I encounter a lot of therapists who go oh but if I if I say oh if I refer somebody that's saying I'm not good enough to deal with it and as much as you say to them well actually yeah on the one hand it is but that's being honest and that can help your credibility but obviously you wouldn't say it to them I don't think I'm good enough to help you with that you'd say I believe I know someone who's better
1: suited to help you with this so it's a slight different I've used those words more than once over the years
0: excellent But if you've got this man here that you're watching, Roy Hunter, the living legend of hypnosis, right, who has taught so many people telling you that he regularly referred people, you don't need to feel bad about referring people. It's not saying that you're not good at what you do. If anything, I would argue based on what Roy's been saying, that it actually will make you better at what you do because the whole thing's reciprocal and it'll lead you more of the clients that you really can help, you know? And right. You know, we we are at that point of the final question it's the one I ask everyone. Now, normally I say, what would your three top tips be to therapists out there? But you've given us dozens of flipping amazing (laughs) top tips in the past hour. You really have. sir. it's been an absolute flipping pleasure. So, I'm not even going to ask you a numbered question. I'm just gonna say if you had to if you had one message to give viewers in terms of whether they're starting out in the industry or they're in a shall we say caught in a rope where they're self- delting themselves because all these new fancy courses keep coming on the market, marketed in a way to give the impression that you're no good unless you've done this course, which as we both know is nonsense what what would your message be to to the therapist out there
1: my number one message is what i've already uh said several times do for the client what you would want done if the roles were reversed but as far as training beware because a lot of people are better at marketing than they are at training Mm. and uh there are Lots of people who take somebody else's work and put their own spin on it and market it as though it's something new. It isn't. There's nothing new under the sun. That's why when I teach a parts therapy workshop, one of the first uh, topics after the introduction is I go through some of the variations of parts therapy. So I'm not presenting parts therapy as the only game in town.
0: No, but the the other thing is you also credit people. Unfortunately, a lot of these people running the new courses they don't even, you know, some of these. Courses, I, I I look at a lot of them to keep myself aware of what's going on. And Christ, I, can you believe it? I've actually encountered hypnotherapy courses where during the apparent background history introduction. There is no mention of Alma McGill, no mention of Dave Ellman, no mention of Milton Erickson. I've even seen ones where there's not even mention of Mesmer, for Christ's sake. That's how ridiculous. I believe something.
1: every practicing hypnotherapist in the world needs to have a copy of the Elman hypnotherapy. Mm. So if you're viewing this and you don't have Elman hypnotherapy, uh, go to uh, Larry Ellman's website and get a copy.
0: And I'm not sure what color. I think it has a blue cover now. I've still got the green cover one from Westwood Publishing Company.
1: That was our textbook when I studied under Charlie back in
0: 1983.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yes.
0: Which is bonkers because there's places where, I know that is still a, a textbook of a lot of places, but there's places that will say, you know, you need to be looking at Charlie's Miracles on Demand.
1: My best advice is be willing to learn because uh, life is too short for us to learn everything we need to know in one lifetime. And uh, as a hypnotherapist, I'm still willing to learn. Excellent. If I'm not, then I would have to question whether I'm qualified to still teach.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant mr roy hunter the living legend of hypnosis ladies and gentlemen at home go to the link below the video it's royhunter.com but i made it easy for you because the link will be there to click on go and check out his book practice long and and prosper indeed check out his video programs (laughs) and check out his courses and and lectures and stuff uh regularly speaks at conferences uh, around the world and stuff check out stuff seriously do it and get a notepad and a pen Watch this again and take notes. Roy, thank you you so much for your time. It's been an absolute honour, a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you, sir.
1: You are welcome.
0: We'll see you all next week for another edition of Hypnosis Week. Bye for now.